millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 1981 was a busy year for Split Ends, with the release of their album Wyata and a six-month world tour and the royalties flooded in for Tim Finn after the band Jimmy and the Boys had an Australian hit with his song They Won't Let My Girlfriend Talk To Me. It's always a thrill to get hits. I didn't like the version when I first heard it, and uh, you know, but it was a hit, so the proof's in the pudding, I suppose. See, I do these demos and they get, um, they get given out, and uh, that one was the first, first time I'd actually done any publishing demos, and I gave them to Jenny Keith, Mushroom Music. Good old Jenny. And Got she on sold it to Jimmy and the boys. She thought of them straight away. So now that there is an active arm to the publishing side of things, there's more of my songs going out. That's great. The songs were flowing out quicker than the ends could record them. So Tim headed up to a remote recording studio in northern New South Wales to put some ideas down on tape. Bandmate Nigel Griggs was also coming up with songs of his own and accompanied Tim. Tim and myself went up to the music farm near Byron Bay just to mess around. He was playing drums, I was playing bass or something. And everything else had to be overdubbed from that point. It was a great little break from the band, a great little uh, side feeling of like getting away and doing something on the side that wasn't the band. Me being able to play the drums. Lost Words was a bit I had and he had something to do and, and I started working at this bass line for something to do which held the thing together so we could play it. And it was a funny little bunch of recordings, you know. Very demo-y. good tracks actually. Um, the Remember When was a bit of a standout. Remember When was another great one of Tim's. We recorded all the crickets and all that stuff and we put a bit of effort into that and it was a good performance from Tim. The, the music farm is in a strange, you know, it's that Queensland sort of vibe, very mysterious, swampy kind of cane toads going mad at night. And it's quite a psychedelic sort of sinister feeling in the air up there sometimes. Remember when we were discovered A race of men, a blaze of colour upon the beach we Sadly, 
Have you found your lifestyle over the last couple of years has changed very much? Are you able to enjoy the benefits of the hard work or are you still feeling even more pressure now that you are successful? I have a freewheeling post-nuclear lifestyle. <laughs> um, it, is, it, is, it always changes. One's life changes and you just have to go with it, I guess. So success turned out to be not what we expected, obviously. It never does, I think. Mm. But it's still, it's made some parts of our lives easier and other parts harder. There is more pressure now, I suppose, but there's always been pressure. We've always put pressure on ourselves. And you get what you give. Split ends keyboard virtuoso, Eddie Rayner. A lot of people in their late 20s, mid-late 20s, even 30s, go through this period of sort of uncertainty and stress which leads to these horrible anxiety attacks. And Tim was going through it at that stage. Manager Nathan Brenner. Tim, he had a nervous breakdown. Dirty Creature is about that nervous breakdown. He had it at my place. For a week I was taking him down to the St Kilda Beach at three o'clock in the morning, walking around and it was suicidal. I was, you know, going through a lot of stuff and I'd broken up after a long relationship and I was feeling, you know, the mixture of guilt and terror and sadness and whatever that you go through and it was a hard time and Neil kind of was there for me. Neil Finn. I suddenly found myself in an unfamiliar position of needing to be there for Tim and offer support at a time when he was quite fragile where up till then had been the older brother, younger brother relationship where he was really kind of nurtured me I suppose. It was really good for us as brothers, you know, we hadn't done any cliff climbing since we were kids, we were climbing up cliffs and you know just sort of hanging out together. But he saw that side of me, that vulnerable side I suppose. And and it probably shocked him a bit, you know, because I'd been a bit of a hero figure for so long. And no one wants to be a hero figure particularly, but it's so disappointing when you are shown to have feet of clay, I guess. But it was also, it brought us really close. Eddie was going nuts as well around that time. It was such an intense time for me. This just came on me one day when I was sitting down at a meal in Brisbane. 
I can remember the exact day, the time, and, any, and, and even the meal. I had. It was a plantation platter. <laughs> anyway, this woman had come up to the Crest Hotel where we were staying in, and she brought a painting, and it was a painting of done by her son, whose name was Zane or something, and she said that she was into witchcraft and that she kept him locked in a shed and he painted in there. I mean, it was a bit scary, but I mean, I just laughed it off, thought, you know. I told the manager to get rid of her. But anyway, she gave us the painting. And that same evening, it was when I sat down for the meal, about six o'clock or something, this thing kind of hit me. It was almost physical. It was that strong. It was sort of like my whole psyche was at that singular point in time was being invaded by some evil, malicious, malevolent sort of force. I just stood up and ran out of that restaurant. Ran out and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. I thought at this point, oh, something really bad's going to happen. Went back to the hotel and just sort of ended up curled up in the corner of a dark motel room, just quivering in fear and thinking what's going on, not knowing what the hell's going on. It went throughout the whole night. Next morning, I still had it, and I was just like thinking, I'm dying, you know, I thought I was dying. And then, bang, gone. It's instantly as it came, about 12 hours later, it was gone. And I went through months and months, and in fact years, of trying to find out what it was, because it kept recurring. It occurred any time, never on stage. I mean, even thinking about it now, I can, I can sort of start to feel a little uneasy. But... You learn how to control these things. personal crises, the songwriting and demo recordings continued in preparation for the next Split Ends album, Time and Tide. It's a small world, it's getting smaller, there's no getting away from it up in a small world, yes it's a small world, it's getting smaller. Between I was 
There was an effort to get away from the the short, pared-back arrangements and highly poppy melodies of True Colours and uh, Waiata and to be more representative of what the band was like on stage by this time and take a few risks. One, two, three, four. The decision was made to work with a new producer this time round, so Split Ends approached Englishman Hugh Padgham. Hugh had been in contact with us sort of sporadically ever since Frenzy. On Frenzy, he was the assistant engineer. He was about the same age as us, become quite a good mate during those sessions. Hugh Padgham. In the meantime, my career had sort of taken off on my own, you know, doing things like Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins and The Police and stuff. So I was sort of relatively new sort of flavour of the month or year or something. Hugh flew to Australia and joined Split Ends in Sydney in November 1981. Nathan and Nigel remember the recording sessions fondly. It's one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had with a band recording that album, being with them up there. How close was the band at this time? Very close. To me, totally close. Only because the openness in recording. I think Tim and Neil were more open. We had less preconceptions. We had no idea what we were doing. We did no rehearsing. We did all the rehearsing in the studio. So we could capture anything as soon as it happened. And uh, it was a really good, really good feeling about it. And he was part of that behind the desk. Best, best recording time I've ever had anywhere with anybody. With time and tide, we just locked it. You know, we were in a room together and we just wanted to make music for ourselves and make the best record we could possibly make. And we weren't looking outwards. In fact, there was a review in NME, a very cruel review of, a, I think, a good album. But the main fault that it found with the record was that it sounded like six people in a room somewhere playing music, you know, for themselves. And they saw that as a criticism, but uh, that, that was very much what it, what it was for me, and I see that as a positive thing. I think some of my favourite records are quite introverted in that way. Dirty Creature, that was great. It was probably the first track we recorded. I can remember Nigel having written the chorus to that years before we recorded it. I don't want to say, I don't want to say. I don't want to say, I don't want to say. 
the song, I mean, when we went in the studio, it was just an idea we'd thrown around in rehearsal, and everybody was playing the Batman riff, all the way through the song. Which became over time. We really fought hard for that song. We spent a couple of days trying to get the right feel, and when it fell into place, it was just great from then on. We were really just breaking Nolan as the drummer. I think he did incredibly well. I think that was his finest hour on Time and Tide. He really did some great drumming. Things like Dirty Creature and our um, great Nolish feel, I think. Fun, really funky. For me, I was because I was playing drums. You know, that was a pretty big thing, really. Also, got them to be playing songs that I'd worked out drum-wise, rather than having stepped in after an album that's already recorded. Yeah, so I sort of felt like I was able to reflect a bit of my sort of personality, I suppose. I remember Noel just sweating. He's just in a pair of underpants behind these glass doors, sweating his bollocks off for about a couple of weeks there. Fantastic. That was, that was my recurring image of Noel during the album, just walking around his underpants. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people know that Noel walks around in his underpants. He's got a Prime Minister's bum. Very yeah. reliable. <laughs> to this barbecue and this little kid said to me he thought it was good to be small and I said why do you think it's good to be small and he said it's easier to pick things up and I thought that was pretty cute so I put that in the song.
Tim was actually having a bit of a, a creative binge, if you like, and he was actually quite at the top of his form, and Neil was too. It was late in creating. A lot of stuff happened in the studio, which was magic, and it was like instant. It wasn't as if they worked and worked and worked. It just organically developed. It was a paradise recording studios, and it was a great environment too. You know, the band ate there. There was a, you know, a little sauna. They could you know, have a bit of a sweat and stuff like that. They had a jacuzzi up there too, which was really far out, man. Yeah, it's good for writing the lyrics, you know. Paradise, it was all red studio. Red's a highly charged colour, I think it's a great colour to work in. A bit of aggression in the player, not necessarily lyrically or anything, but uh, warm, high energy. She was a guest on the TV show, and so were we. Yeah, she was just on the show with us, and she was seven foot seven, and pretty amazing woman. And uh, yeah, spawned the song. Did you ever send her the song? Yep, we did. And I, um, there was communication at that time, but I didn't see her for a long time. I actually felt a little guilty years later that we had lost touch because I think she didn't have a very happy road. I don't think she was at the Guinness worked at the Guinness Museum in Niagara Falls, and as a, a living exhibit. One, two. Nearly every album, there's an instrumental on it from you. Yeah, we had we had a fad for a couple of albums, True Colours and uh, yep. Waiata. There was a bit of a fad on instrumentals there, but we got sick of them for the new album, Time and Tide, so we yep. um we gave it a miss. But you've got long instrumental breaks on Time and Tide, haven't you? you like uh, Leaky Boat, for example. Yeah. There's a lot of instrumental as part of the song. Oh, yeah, instrumental, you know, we, we, we think we're pretty good instrumentally. You are uh, excellent I'm, instrumentally, I'm, if I may say so. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, um, on, on the new album, it'll be all instrumental. There'll be none of the Thin Brothers at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I just used to write bits and pieces of music all the time, which I was sort of hopeful that some of them would be able to be included on some of the records, and they were, thankfully, which was great. One night I just recorded Pioneer just by myself. I think it was just Hugh and I. And over the course of making the record, it sort of became apparent that a lot of the songs were sort of maritime in their influences. And so we decided to go that way and um, included Pioneer on the record as a precursor to uh, Six Months in Leaky Boat. a bit of a gathering period before albums anyway where you'd gather things around that were some new, some old. And I remember things like um, Six Months in a Leaky Boat was actually had been around quite a long time and Nigel pulled it out on a tape and said, hey, you should finish this, Tim, it's really good. Tim originally came along with a verse and chorus melody. I don't think he had too many lyrics at that stage and we played along with it and it became a bit more epic and... Uh, the bridge came in and the ending. So the band was heavily involved in what was originally Tim's idea. Producer Hugh Padgham. I always sort of like to regard my job as being a sort of catalyst to the group. And, you you know, they present me with the songs and then you go, well, I've got a good idea, I think, to maybe make that better or, or uh, why don't you change this or try that? I seem to remember six months in a leaky boat. It was my idea to have acoustic guitars strumming away. Them to the yard arm. 
There's a recurring nautical theme through songs like Six Months in a Leaky Boat and Holloway. Why, what brought that about? Who knows? These things just happen, but I guess we... The jacuzzi? Yeah, the jacuzzi. That was it. And the sauna. We wrote a lot of the lyrics in the sauna. And uh, with all that moisture around, you couldn't help but think of the sea. Plus, we all like the sea. We spend a lot of time there as kids, and there's always images. It's an easy uh, mood to fall into, on this album particularly, because, uh, well, we used, like, with Six Months in a Leaky Boat, that, to me, popped into my head, probably because I was thinking about the pioneers. I was reading a book called The Tyranny of Distance, which explained all the early days of Australia and how you know, the very isolation of the place was the reason why things turned out the way they did, socially, economically, whatever. And it just fascinates me that people could spend those six months or however long they did spend on those old leaky boats, you know, coming around the world. And so I did it. But it's not a song about that, but that's the mood of it. What it's about is, is several different things, I suppose. Anybody who's come through a rough time and survived it and can look back with a laugh, that's what the song is for them. I remember mixing that song myself because he was really struggling with the sound of it. I said, let me have a go at it. I said, OK, and he threw his hands up and he went out for a walk and when he came back I'd finished it. And it sounded pretty good. Tim's finest moments, I think, Hall Away. It's a potty little song. I was born in Tiawamutu, 25th of June 1952. Ten pounds of boy, all away, all away, all away. My mother and father's pride and joy. Richard and Mary drink to my journey, all away. My mum and dad came to Melbourne and we just finished the album and played it to them and the Richard and Mary drink to my journey line. Dad heard it. He was up late. Mum was in bed already, and he'd heard it, and he couldn't stop laughing, and, and had to wake Mum up. She thought it was all a joke and got a bit cross with him. But yeah, and then we sang it to them at Sweetwaters, which was rather lovely. Got them to come up on stage, and this, the lighting person just lit them on that line, and they were raising their glasses. It was, it was wonderful.
kind of would already select a track, should we do that? Yeah, yeah we could. I've, okay. I've actually pre-selected it, uh, Ian. You have? Okay. Yeah, it's called um, Make Sense of It. It's Last Track Side 2. Yeah. I don't think it makes sense, but it has had a very good chance, actually. I mean, by the time you get, oh. you know, three-quarters of the way through Side 2, you're so bored that you, don't, you, you, know, you never get to hear it. <laughs> so... Uh, make sense of it. Just came about in the studio virtually. Quite spontaneous. It was almost a jam that the band had. And it's just about my favourite Splains track. Yeah, what makes it your favourite? We never played it. Never played it live? No, and it just happened. Well, there's one funny part in that song where it sounds like everything's falling apart and that we, we found it quite hard to arrange that, but Eddie decided to do it with pots and pans. He's magically clumsy. Mm. He got him, got him to, to crash in rhythm as well. Tide name was Knowles that came right at the end. We had a list of names. We'd always have drawings and lists and stuff all over the wall of our ideas. And the list of album titles was up there and it was jammed full. And Noel just, I remember he just squeezed it on the bottom, Time and Tide. And we thought, perfect. Yeah, we almost went for Prick Up Your Ears, but we didn't quite um, settle yeah, for something that. Something about that one didn't quite gel. Yeah. But so Time and Tide it was. And and backwards, it's Edit and Mitch, and we sort of like that as well, so it's good enough reason in itself. We had a bit of break doing the album, and then we went out with Time and Tide, and that was, I remember it was a great tour. I, I remember the Time and Tide period being really the best time for me. Uh, it's like the arrived time. Shut up! If you girls would stop screaming a bit, then everybody else might have a better time. We're glad that you're into the show, you know, we're happy that you're into the show, but just don't scream so much, it's really stupid. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Ooh, Tim's a spoil sport. We're all here to have a good time, that's all that matters. Thank you, Neil. Onwards to bigger and better things. Take a walk! Have you got the rest of the year planned out? We've got it mapped out ahead of us. The demographics have already been worked on. Yeah, man, we've got a plan. We've and the logistics. Plan. We're basically touring Australia, starting in Perth, and uh, the Australian tour finishes after covering most of the major cities on about the 4th of April. And we have about three weeks then to do film clips and do about a million other things. 
and then we leave for uh, Canada via some press in New Zealand or something. We're doing a major tour, a four-week tour of Canada, and probably another four-week tour of America. Time to North Island. Such an easy question. Was Tim and Neil born in? First caller, good evening. Yeah, I was going to say Auckland. Oh, you haven't been listening to your time and tide. Mm. <laughs> no, sorry. Right, Next. Hello, the answer to the four. question. Yeah, how about um, Manui? Oh, oh, Very bad, I'm afraid, no. No, no, just one guess. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, g'day. Yeah, g'day. g'day. Uh, yeah, is it Tiao uh, Mutu? Oh. And the time on Fobo Radio, 19 and a half after 2 a.m. I remember it like it was just yesterday, Neil. Remember those times of Tia Yeah, I remember fine. Remember when you squatted me when I was being beaten up by the local boy? Yeah, that's right. It was a good day, Neil. parts of the world are you looking forward to seeing and playing in most this time? Are they places you've been before or places ah, you've Moose Jaw. Moose Jaw, yeah. Canada, man. That's where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> no, should we just heard today that the album's gold on pre-orders there, which is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, Canada's great. It's been really good to us and, and we can't wait. We're going to do the most extensive tour we've done yet in Canada, cover a lot of the smaller towns. And we'll probably do an American tour, as Neil said. But yeah. I don't know if we're actually looking forward to going to America. Sometimes no, it's none good, of us yeah. like it particularly as a country, although you can have fun we there. can have we've had some good shows there for sure and there's a lot mm. of people that want us to play there. The Time and Tide album went straight to number one in New Zealand and won Split End's numerous awards in Australia, while Dirty Creature was a major radio hit in Australasia and Canada. 
Europe was a bit slower off the mark, so the Ends decided not to tour there immediately. Noel Crombie. We were probably thinking, well, rather than just go there, let's see if they can get something happening. You know, here's the new album, let's see what you can do with it and then we'll back it up, you know. Nigel Griggs. Well, I was always trying to make it less and less shows and more and more recording. We'd sort of say, how long are we going to tour for? And before we know it, would extra weeks would creep on to the touring, the overall length of the tour, and it'd suddenly be an extra month longer than it was supposed to be. And then at the end of all this, Japan was always on the end of this. Once we'd gone everywhere, right, we'd, well, we'd do a couple of weeks in Japan. Never got to Japan because the tours always got extended so much that we'd say, no, 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 and pull back, and we never, we never reached Japan, which is a great shame because I think we could have done well there. While the band was on tour, the news came through that Six Months on a Leaky Boat was getting major radio airplay in England. Split End's manager, Nathan Brenner. It actually really took off very quickly. Uh, in Manchester, it had astounding sales in the first day because the radio station there actually played the introduction. And you can imagine after hearing, you know, pop song after pop song, suddenly to hear this orchestral bit for 30 seconds, people stopped and listened. The single gets released, there's a lot of enthusiasm at the record label, and then the Falklands happened. And we are told by the label that any reference to nautical themes, particularly in relation to leaky boats, is not appropriate at this time in relation to the war. Most people do well when their records get banned. They get lots of publicity and get successful. It didn't sort of work for us. It just sort of got forgotten and lost. That was basically the beginning of the end of uh, any form of airplay in England. And the reviews were very bad. Time and Tide was called Tame and Tired, which is shocking and insulting. There now seemed little chance of Split Ends having any success in England with Time and Tide, and they refrained from touring there. But in Canada, it was a different story. that touring can place on your otherwise sane rock or pop musician were no less on this tour than on any of the previous Split Ends excursions. Again, with the tedium of long bus journeys, stale air conditioning, very late nights and thin-walled hotels, relief was sought in the purchase and extreme use of giant water pistols, manic paper dart folding and the pushing of maids' trolleys down flights of stairs at 7 in the morning. Neil Finn. I remember another very memorable night in Quebec City, where we were up all night till five in the morning and the workmen started. Tim was brilliant that night. He went knocking on every single door on the, the floor we were on and said uh, at six in the morning, get up, workmen have started. Workmen have started, it's time to get up. 
and he woke the whole hotel up. Brilliant. quite fitting that we're in Hamilton tonight because that's where Neil and I uh, actually come from. That's our home base in New Zealand, Hamilton, a city called Hamilton. So it's, it's a nice coincidence. Eh? It's true, I wouldn't kid you. Is it true that you played to 5,000 people in New York City? New York, yeah, we did an open air gig yeah, there. That's Duran Duran supported else. us and we had 5,000 people. Yeah, we, Duran Duran supported you? <coughs> yeah. Well, we, we don't hear this sort of thing in New Zealand, and you know it's 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 great. Yeah, yeah we've had some good achievements, but we are pretty modest in a way because like we've been yeah. accused of being up ourselves. I think the, the venerable Sunday oh, news, the Sunday news, said billions have got, are really up themselves. But sometimes it yeah. sickens me how polite and sort of sensible we are. You know, yes. I'd like to be a bit more arrogant about it. So let's just say that well, we're the most brilliant band that God's <laughs> ever put on this earth. You know, <laughs> ain't it about time the Yanks woke up and took notice? I think on that same tour we played the Palladium in Los Angeles and we're quite surprised that it wasn't a great show, I don't think we played very well, but we're quite taken aback at the level of hysteria in the crowd. There was like just an incredibly full-on reaction to it and we were almost but not quite broken through at that point and probably didn't really um, have the pieces in place to capitalise on it. Were you still after international success? I mean, was that a goal as much as it had been? at that stage? Yeah, I think it was always the subtext of the band was that we could take it all away and at various times we kind of recoiled against admitting it. Tim was always the most barefaced about at that time about wanting it but I actually think that for the rest of us we were conveniently able to pretend it didn't matter to us because Tim was out there championing it and it was almost like a perversity amongst certain people in the band but everybody I reckon underneath acknowledged the need for a band to keep growing. Once you've entered the arena and you've got yourself, you either need to maintain at a good enough level to keep it, the, the machine working, or you need to capitalise and grow it and become bigger, or else there's just a natural cooling off that happens. We started to win all these awards and we were saying to each other, it's the kiss of death, and it was. Sometimes I think success is just a prelude to uh, breaking up.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.